So we ended last week in John chapter 13, and we were talking to you um, about Jesus ultimately saying the things that were about to take place in his life and were about to take place about him and what was going to happen. And we see that many of the disciples made a declaration uh, for their service. A lot of disciples made a declaration as to what he meant to them. And as it closed out, Jesus was kind of like, yeah, 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 but before, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me, right? And that's kind of how we closed out chapter 13. And when we think about that, that sounds harsh, right? I have a, I have a book that, that I read years ago, took tons of notes out of and underlined, and it's called The Hard Sayings of the Bible, or maybe it's the hard sayings of Jesus. I don't remember off my head. But, it, but it's those tough things. It's those things that are like, man, God really punches me in the mouth right here. And how do I process that? How do I deal with that? So imagine you're, imagine you're Peter, and as Peter, you are taking a moment, and, and you're pledging your allegiance to Jesus. I will die for you. I will go to the ends of the earth for you. I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus responds, you? Lay down your life for me? Dude, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Right? And that's how we end chapter 13. A hard, a hard word from Jesus. A hard, a hard moment for Jesus. And then it, it takes us right into chapter 14 where Jesus responds to that truth. And we know that Peter did just that. We know that, that Peter went out and was accused. You're one of his followers. No, I'm not. Another one, you're one of his followers. No, no, not me, right? And another one, you're one of his followers. And he swore and denied Jesus in that moment three times. And then the cock crowed, as Jesus predicted. And here's the thing, guys. If I were to ask you how many of us love Jesus, right? Every single one of us would raise our hand. I don't believe, you don't have to do it, but I believe we would, right? You can do it. You don't have to, right? But I believe every single one of us would raise our hands. Why? Why do I think that? Why do I believe that? Because you wouldn't be here if you didn't. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't. You're not here for me. You're not here for, for friendships. You might, you might say that to yourself, that, that, you know, my friend's going, so I'm going and everything else. But inside of you, there is this part of you that, that is drawn to Jesus Christ. There is part of you that says, I love Jesus and I want Jesus to be part of my life. So I am learning more about him. I am seeking him and I am allowing him to speak to me. I might not fully agree I might not fully understand. I might not even like Jay. And that's okay. But there's something real about what I experienced there. I hope you like me, right? And, and I try, I, it's kind of so-so, Kelly. Um, but the reality is, I, I'm not up here to promote me. I'm up here to promote Jesus. I'm up here to present him to you in the best way that I can based upon the talents and abilities that he's given me. We talked about that Monday night in men's group. And, and in doing that, I need to present him as he is, right? Not how I want him to be, but how he is. 
And that's important because that's exactly what the disciples were doing. The disciples were processing everything Jesus did. They were processing all of his teaching. They were processing everything about Jesus according to what they wanted him to be. Right? Not according to what he was teaching them and saying would be. Right? And a lot of times, right, that's where, that's where ministry gets in trouble, right? Because ministry, if they don't have a sharp focus on Jesus and who Jesus is, even ministry will begin to manipulate Jesus into what they want. And when ministry does that, it sets an example to everyone else in the church and around the church to do the same thing. And when we do that, what do we begin to do? We begin to serve man rather than serve God. We, we begin to seek pleasure for ourselves rather than to please ourselves in, in the goodness of God and who God is. Amen? And so we, we quickly come to a place to where we think, well, I don't, I don't like this. This doesn't, this doesn't make me feel good. This doesn't feed me. This doesn't work in my life. This isn't there when I have a need. And, and all of these things become shortcomings. Why? Because man's going to fell us. Man will always fell us. Amen? That's why our focus has to be on Jesus. On Jesus. Because there's one man who never failed. One man who was tempted just like I am and never succumbed to the temptation. Never agreed to, to please himself. Never agreed to, to benefit himself by any of it. Right? We ought to shout on that. Because it is that purity, it is that purity, it is that purity of mind, it is that purity of heart, it is that purity in the flesh that makes Jesus different than every single one of us. Right? And it is why he's qualified to be our Savior. Amen? Because a spotless lamb had to die. A spotless sacrifice, a worthy sacrifice had to go to, to the cross and die that you and I might be saved, right? And if, and if he was blemished at all, he was considered what? Unclean. And as unclean, he could not be offered for sacrifice, meaning our, our salvation would not be complete in him. But yet, as God's son, he overcame all and died a spotless lamb for us, right? And, and we need to accept that to be saved, first of all. But we need to understand the purity in his example to us. And we should strive for it. We should strive for it. Had a conversation earlier about... You know, how, how did you overcome this in your life? And how did you overcome that in your life? And, and, and everything else. And, and, and look, you know, I was, I was raised around a lot of alpha men, right? Coal miners, construction workers, Marine Corps, you know, all of, all of this sports and, and everything else. I was around all of this. And so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of locker room stuff that goes on in those environments, right? And, and I was asked, how did you overcome that? 
How did, you, how did you clean this up? And how did you clean that up? And how did, you, how did you work yourself to where you are? And I said, the deeper I fell in love with Jesus, the more I realized how magnificent and how beautiful and how powerful he was, the more I wanted it and the less I wanted who I used to be. So I wasn't perfect overnight. But I began to desire it because of what I saw in Jesus. Amen? Here we see the disciples in the same struggle, right? The disciples are in that same kind of struggle because they see everything Jesus is a whole lot better than us, right? We read about it, but they saw it, right? And in and, and all of that, Jesus is, is in this moment where he is saying to them and through them saying to us, I want you to want me. This me. Not that me. Not the me that, that, that we put together in our head and, and determine this is the God I want. This is the Jesus I want. This is the, you know, this is the, the wish maker God that I need and want. Amen. But, but Jesus never really was about being a wish maker, right? What did he tell people as he healed them, right? Don't tell anybody because this isn't what I'm here for. I'm paraphrasing, but that's ultimately what he said. I'm healing you. I'm working in your life. I'm, I'm doing a thing for you because the reality is I love you and I can't stand to leave you like that and walk away, right? We see the love of God and we see his, his love towards us and power that was manifest in that through his healings and through his workings but it wasn't what he came to do he came to he came to present the kingdom of heaven and die to make a pathway into that kingdom for me and you right and so he has this moment with peter where he says no you're going to deny me because the me you want isn't the me you're getting ready to get right that's where the harshness comes. The harshness comes because he's in this moment when he's saying, you want this me, but that's not the me you're going to get. And so you're going to deny me, right? How many of us at one point or time in our life ha have found hurt and, and have found hardship and have found difficulty with the church? And it's because we have placed the church above Jesus. And when the church felled, we associated that with Jesus, even though it wasn't Jesus at all. The reality is that kind of stuff, that kind of mentality, that kind of, that kind of trial and tribulation that we go through is exactly where Peter was here. It's exactly where Peter was in this moment. If, if his relationship with Jesus and the disciples and the upper room was a church, this was Peter's moment of saying, I'm not getting what I want out of you and even though I thought I was ready to die for you, I'm not because it's not what I wanted and I'm going to deny you. Right? So my advice, my advice based on the scriptures, is that we all need to come to a place where we pursue and seek Jesus as he is, as he was intended so that we get everything Jesus wanted for us. And it begins with our salvation. 
It begins with our freedom from sin. It begins with us being able to look at God and being able to look at one another and being free. Because you know what sin does? Whether it's, a, whether it's a white lie, whether it's a little dirty word, whether it's something egregious by man's standards, you want to know, know what sin does? It separates us from God. It separates us from God. And separating us from God means that we're choosing between God and mammon, between God and man. So in my sin, the slightest of sin even I'm ultimately choosing man over God. And that's where Peter was in this moment. In his conversation with Jesus, he was saying, I'm choosing you over everything. I will die because I choose you. But when the rubber met the road, when, when the difficult questions came, when the circumstances around Jesus began to hit him in the face, he examined it and realized it wasn't what he thought it was going to be because he thought Jesus was still going to set up an earthly kingdom, right? And when he realized all of a sudden, oh, crap, he's in chains, he's going to die, and this isn't what I thought at all. No, I'm not one of his. And he went back to the boats and he went back to the fish. Amen? Ultimately. Ultimately. We know, we know there was that. We know there was that time before um, Jesus ascended. But, but ultimately he was weighing his choices during that time. So this is how Jesus follows up to chapter 13 and verse 14. Verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Imagine, how would you feel? If you came to me and said, Jay, God is going to do this in my life. And I was like, no, God's really going to do this in your life. Right? You'd be like, man, Jay's a jerk. Jay doesn't believe in me. Jay's not going to promote me. Jay's not going to stand by me. All of a sudden, Jay's the worst guy on the face of the earth, right? And, and we, would all start, we would all start examining that. We would all start processing that. We would all try to, to deal with the hurt, and we'd all try to deal with, with the anger, and we'd all try to deal with the frustration, and we'd well, I just won't go to that church anymore. That's exactly what Peter did, right? If Jesus was the church, right, because it was. It was their church, right? And, and he got told, no, you're not going to do what you think you're going to do. You're really going to do this. And it struck him down and slapped him down. What, what would we do? Well, I'll just go to another church. Amen? But this is Jesus. This is, there is no other church. This is Jesus, right? So, so he, they can't process it the way we process it in our flesh, right? So I imagine Peter's kind of with his his chin to his chest, kind of, kind of thinking, man, what do I do with that, right? What do I do with that? And this is how Jesus responds. Always the builder up, always the encourager, always the loving Savior. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. How many of you dealing with some stuff? Just me? It's been, it's been a couple weeks for me, right? It's been a couple weeks for me. A lot of distractions, a lot of, lot of man stuff that, that I've had to deal with and, and, and battle and, and, and work through. And, and 
settled and, and taken care of, but not in a way I'm happy about, but yet it is what it is, and it's something I had no control over. And, and we will be okay as a, as a result, but the reality is this. I was frustrated, not at anyone. I was just frustrated that I was here. And the flesh wanted to make it personal, GB. The flesh wanted to make it a fleshly thing. Wanted to make me mad. Wanted to make me angry. Wanted me to, wanted me to point fingers. Wanted me to blame. Wanted me to chew people out. Wanted me to have confrontations about this or about that. Amen? And I said, no. No. No, not gonna. Not gonna. Why? Because my heart was troubled. I was frustrated. I was aggravated. Things didn't happen the way they were supposed to, and I don't like that. I'm a type A, if you know anything about me. You know, I'm a little OCD and over the top about certain things. And I feel like, in a lot of ways, it could have been avoided with, with the right responsibility. But at the end of the day, we're here, and I can't change that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to believe in God. I'm going to believe in God. I'm not going to be Peter, and because I didn't get my way, have a pity party. Because I didn't get my way, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pout, and I'm not going to run away. But what am I going to do? I'm going to believe in God. Just like Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. What's he saying? I, what did he say before? I give you what? Peace? Right? So if I choose to wad up and throw that piece away every time I don't get my way, I'm no different than Peter, right? Oh, I didn't get my way, Lord, so, you know, no, I'm not a follower. No, I'm not with him. I'm even going to swear about it, right? I'm no different. But Jesus is saying to us in this moment, no, no, don't fret. Don't worry. Don't get mad. Don't get frustrated. Don't let your flesh... Be in charge of this moment. Let me. Let me be in charge of this moment. You believe in God? Believe in me. Man, I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but that, that's a step back. That's a step back phrase for me. You believe in God? You believe in me too. You believe in the same me that healed people on the side of the road. You believe in the same me that turned water into wine. You believe in the same me that raised the dead back to life. If you believe in God and if you believe everything that I've done was from God, then you believe in me in this moment. When life doesn't stack up the way you wanted and man doesn't respond the way you wanted, you can either make that a fleshly thing or you can make that a spiritual thing and you can choose to believe in him to work it all for your good. To work it all for your good according to his power and according to his glory and according to his goodness and according to his imminence of all of heaven. There is none above him. None. None. And so what he's saying is, don't get upset. 
Don't get frustrated. You stay focused on me, and we'll get through this. He tells us this. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. Right? And, and you've heard me say this, especially if you've been here throughout our, our seven years. You've heard me say this. I go to prepare a place for you. Right? A lot of us take that aside and we think that Jesus is in heaven with his carpenter belt on and he's building us houses. Right? He's building us mansions. Some of us have even said, now I want the blue floor, God, not the, not the, the purple floor or the black floor or whatever. Right? We're, we're even given our, our, our request to him on how to build our, our mansion in heaven. Right? But understand this. I don't think he's wearing a carpenter belt at all. I think he's sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us. So when we break down this verse, it, it tells us that in his father's house are many mansions. They're already there, friend. They're already there. Our promised mansion, our promised, our promised existence in his presence. Amen. And if you really want to get serious and translate this back to the Greek, it says that it's one big mansion, Right? And so we all live in together, friend. We all live in together in the kingdom, right? If it were not so, what's Jesus saying? I'm telling you it is so. If it were not so, I would have told you. So what God has prepared for us is ready, right? And that's what, that's what Jesus was trying to teach his disciples the whole time he was here upon earth because he was leading them into the kingdom of God and not some kind of earthly rule, right? And that's where they, that's where they messed it up, right? They put, they put effort and they put energy and they put hope in this life. And what's the Bible say that if we put our, our hope only in this world, what does it say? We are most miserable. We're most miserable, right? So even up to the end, Peter and, and the disciples were, were putting hope in this world on what God was going to do for this world. And Jesus is saying, no, man. It was never about this world. It was always about the kingdom. It was always about what God is preparing for you. And if God's preparing that for you, there ain't nobody going to take it from you. There ain't nobody that's going to blemish it. There ain't nobody who's going to make it not good enough. Amen? Scripture even tells us further in the New Testament that I haven't seen, ear, haven't heard, neither has it entered into my heart. Amen? That's why all of us sending up our requests of what it's going to look like doesn't mean anything because it hasn't even been conceived in us what he has prepared. What he has already prepared. You say, well, it says right there, preacher, that, that he goes to prepare a place for you. And, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm stretching the spiritual application of this a little bit. I don't think I am, but maybe I am. If he's going to prepare a place for us and all of this already exists, then what's he talking about? I think he's talking about here and here. I think he's preparing a place within us so that we want him above everything here. That he 
is greater than anything we could desire and anything we could pursue here. And that, when we come to that understanding, when we come to that mindset and that lifestyle, and that becomes our heart, amen, we will pursue the things of God more than the things of man. And we will be blessed and we will flourish in it. Amen? That doesn't mean you're going to be rich necessarily. What it means is that the blessings and the presence and the peace and the joy of God is going to be alive in your life. What did we say a couple of weeks ago? Amen? If you don't have joy, you don't have joy because you're not doing these things. Right? That's what we shared to you a couple of weeks ago earlier in chapter 13. So if I go and prepare that place for you, if I go and I change your mind and I change your heart and I draw you to me, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What's the end goal? He tells us right here. What's the end goal? That he's going to come, right? And he's going to receive us unto himself, right? So guess what? If I'm doing everything in my life, everything in my Christianity even, to distance myself from him, the likelihood of him coming and receiving me is limited. The reality for me and the reality for you is if I am drawing myself closer to him, if I'm finding myself at his feet in my worship and in my devotion and in my choices, then guess what? It's just a matter of him receiving me because I am already seeking him and I'm already choosing him over the things, right? You remember what the things are, right? When he appeared to Peter on the shore and he asked Peter, do you love me? Yay, Lord, you know that I do. Do you love me, Peter? Yay, Lord, you know that I do. Do you love me more than these, right? Y'all have heard me say this a million times. It boggled my mind for years, boggled my mind. I read every commentary, I read every thing, I read every book trying to figure out why does Jesus care that, that Peter loves him more than the other disciples, because I, I thought that's what these were, amen? And, and so when I read scripture, I'm weird, and that's why I, I, I kind of just zone out, but I'm like picturing it almost like a movie in my head. Right? I want to I understand the heat. I want to understand you know, the grittiness of the sand. I want to understand the moment of that so that it becomes, unfolds itself more to me. And, and so I go through this process. And I'm studying it one day. I'm picturing this idea of the shore. And I'm picturing this idea of Jesus finishing up breakfast and the, disciple, the other disciples cleaning up and Peter and Jesus having this moment. And I, I think of Jesus standing with the, with the sea behind him and saying these, and all of a sudden I saw the boat behind Jesus. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. He's, he's not talking about the other disciples. He's talking about the boats. He's talking about the fish. He's talking about the nets. Jesus said, I will make you a fisher of men. And what have you done, Peter? You went back to the boats. So do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this world? Do you love me more than boats and nets and fish? Peter, because I called you out of that. I called you out of that. And I said, I said, you would be a fisher of men. Yea, Lord, you know that I do. And feed my lambs. 
Yay, Lord, you know that I do. Feed my sheep. And feed my sheep again. And you see, when we look at this verse in that context, Jesus is saying to me and Jesus is saying to you, quit allowing this world to hold you. Quit allowing this world to define you. And allow yourself to seek me. Allow yourself to want to be me. Grant and I were at the soccer game yesterday and we were talking during halftime a little bit about this very thing. And about, you know, when we go to work, men don't talk like we talk or people don't act like we act like. Or when they get off work, they go somewhere we don't go and, and, and all of this kind of stuff. And I said, it's the, it's the, it's the quintessential part of being in the world but not of the world. Why? Because I no longer want those things. I no longer desire those things. I no longer seek those things. Why? Because I have found greater peace and I have found greater joy in Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I'm not willing to sacrifice that for anyone. I'm not willing to sacrifice that for anybody. Will I go to work? Absolutely. Will I do my job 100% with every ability that I've got? Amen? But I don't have to sit with you at lunch. I don't have to do the things you do. I don't have to be your friend and go to the places you go after your work. I can be your friend and love you right here and represent Jesus Christ in front of you because I want you to have what I got. Amen? That makes me a fisher of men. That makes me a fisher of men. That makes me wanting the kingdom of heaven over the things of this life that might make me deny him. Amen? Because if I am pursuing souls, if I'm pursuing fish, amen, I'm not pursuing the things of the kingdom. But if I'm pursuing souls, if I'm presenting the gospel, I don't have to open my mouth to present the gospel. I don't. I don't have to say a word to present the gospel. I just need to live it. I just need to live it. And I just need that everyone around me realizing that it is the top priority in my life. And that'll preach. Now, y'all didn't hear me. That'll preach. Amen. When man sees that God is my priority, Jesus Christ is my priority, that'll preach. Amen? And they'll be interested. They might even ask questions. Amen? And you get an opportunity to give a testimony. Amen? Because guess what? When someone's kid gets sick, who do they seek out in the workplace? Mm, the one who can talk to God. Amen? When someone's, when someone's life is in, in disruption, who do they seek out? The one who can talk to God. Amen. So I'll, I'll go back to what God has called me to. And I'll step away from the boat and the fish. And I will live out what Jesus has given me in front of them. Amen. I don't have to lay down my life by sword or by fist or, or anything else. But I need to lay down my life by devotion. Are we getting that? See, that's what Peter didn't get. Peter thought that to defend Jesus, to defend his faith, 
He had to take up a sword like the Israelites had done for ages. He thought he had to do what all of the forefathers had done to protect what he was getting in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm making all things new. I'm making all things new. So your devotion to me is how you lay down your life. You don't have to lay down your life by sword or stave any longer. You need to lay down your life by devotion. And when you devote yourself to me, I will come to you. Amen? I will come to you, and I will receive you. Amen? Where two or three are gathered, what? He will be in the midst. No, 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 not right. Where two or three are gathered in his name, he will be in the midst. The Father seeketh such to worship him who worship him in spirit and truth. Amen? God is omnipresent. What does that mean? It means he sees everything, he witnesses everything, he knows everything. Amen? But he chooses where to dwell based on our devotion. If we're worshiping him in spirit and truth, not in, not in flesh and blood, not in performance, not in anything else, not in I want to be in front of people singing about the glory of God. No, man, that's not, how, that's not how you worship, right? You worship because I want to glorify God and God manifests a power and a presence in you for that. Amen? Otherwise, it's just performance. And we don't need that. There's enough of that in the church world today. Amen? We want to we wanna worship Him. We want to be devoted to Him. And we want it to be in spirit and in truth so that He is saved. He wants our devotion. And He says this, And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Right? Thomas freaked out. I'm going to get to Thomas in a minute. Right? Thomas freaked out at this phrase. Where I go, ye know. And the way ye know. Right? What is he, what is he saying to them there? I am the way. Right? I am the way. The truth and the life. The, the, the rabbis lost their minds when he said this to them in the temple. Why? Because the temple courtyard, right? The first level was called the way. The second level was called the truth. And the, the last level where you go into the Holy of Holies was called the life. So Jesus, by making that proclamation, was tearing down everything that they had made in the flesh, right? And Jesus is saying, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody gets to God except by me, right? And, and so what Jesus was saying is you don't have to go through the rituals and traditions of the rabbis in the courtyard to get from one level to the next level to the next level to find God. The only way you find God is through me. I'm going to show him to you. I'm going to live him out in front of you. And I'm going to do a powerful work in your life. In his name. So I am the way. 
Thomas freaked out and said, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. Verse 7. And this will bring it all to conclusion this morning. Verse 7. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. What Jesus was saying in response to what he just slapped Peter down with, right? No, no, no. You're not going to lay down your life for me. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, right? Hard saying, tough Jesus, right? Full of himself ministry leader, right? But what Jesus was saying was, no, 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 no. You don't really know me. If that's, if that's what you think, if that's where you think I'm leading you to, if that's what you think I'm drawing you to, you don't really know me, Right? But so now he brings it to conclusion and he says this, If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, from this day forward, I have shown him to you, I am showing him to you, and I am taking my life. And I love the way Dr. Pingleton said this, I am taking my life, and I, God the Son, am making a covenant with God the Father for you. God made a covenant with God for me and for you. That we could come into his presence. We could live out his gospel. And he would receive me unto himself.